Shallowy driving it toward the back post for Zussi, who puts it back across, and Shelton slots it home! Zussi can have a hit from here, he does, and Graham Zussi re-elect! Graham Zussi! Shallowy knocks it in! The Hungarian assassin has given Sporting KC the lead! It's Russell! This is the Sporting KC Show on Sports Radio 810 WHB. Presented by Michelob Ultra. Enjoy a Michelob Ultra today. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. And by Casey's own CBD American Shaman. Score yourself free samples of great all-natural CBD products at a CBD American Shaman near you. CBD American Shaman. Everything is better with the feather. Now your host, Nate Bucati. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Sporting Kansas City Show on your home for SKC Soccer, Sports Radio 810 WHB, wherever you get your podcast, wherever you stream your video content, and we're presented by Michelob Ultra. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. To my left is Ali Trost-Martin, and to my right is Connell McCourt. We got a big show coming up for you in just a little bit. We're going to be joined by goalkeeper John Pulskamp, who was at the center of some incredible drama in Los Angeles, his hometown, uh, this past weekend. We'll talk about that with him. We'll preview an upcoming match against the Houston Dynamo as well. But let's start out with a person who was in Carson, California, who had to suffer uh, <laughs> my verbal abuse on the on the broadcast because this is a person who has now been to Manhattan Beach twice and has not gone to Uncle Bill's Pancake House either time. Okay, the funny thing is I actually got messages from like multiple people yesterday asking if I ended up going to get the pancakes. And? And I didn't because I was a little bit nervous. You know, if anyone's ever traveled with the team or just understands that like if you're traveling with the team, there are very high expectations of you. If you're if you're on time, you're late, basically. And so I was so worried that I was going to get there. It was going to be a long line. I created all these scenarios in my head. Could I have just called and figured something out? Sure. But I was a little anxious. I didn't end up going. But I love Manhattan Beach, and my goal is to go back on a vacation where I have plenty of time to go and enjoy some pancakes. I know that is not a sufficient answer for you, Nate. Um, not, not even close. Not even close. To, to, <laughs> as my dad said, and I never understood this phrase, but that doesn't cut the mustard. Mm-hmm. That was that was what my dad and used to always say, and I don't really know what cuts the mustard, but that doesn't do it right there. Mustard and pancakes doesn't sound good <laughs> for the record. <laughs> That's but, true. Uh, next time, and there's uh-huh. your endorsement, if you're in the Manhattan Beach area, if you traveled out for the game and you're still out there and you're looking for some good grub, go to Uncle Bill's and let me know how it is. Uh, <laughs> Connell? I've never been myself either. I've never been to Uncle Bill's here. It's great, though. I mean, You ever been to Manhattan Beach? No. If you did, if you were presented an all-expenses-paid trip to Manhattan Beach, mm-hmm. so you would go, right? Oh, 100%. Yeah, especially yeah, yeah. If after a recommendation from someone like me, mm-hmm. you'd say, well, if Nate says it's that good. I'm on who's out in California all the time. <laughs> 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 We've got Mr. L.A. right here. Right. I just want you to know, <laughs> on my first trip my first, th- my first trip out there for Fox, oh, 
I stayed in Beverly Hills, but I drove all the way to Did you? Uncle Buck's <laughs> Bakehouse House in Manhattan See, just so I could have breakfast there. I don't Maybe when I try it, I'll have that same level of commitment, but it's like kind of one of those just like, oh, I'll get to it next time. How far of a drive was that? Uh, it depends on the traffic. It was definitely a good 30 minutes. Um, there must be some good pancakes. Man. Hey, look, I'm a pancake fan. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a breakfast fan, but it's just... It's it's on the beach. It overlooks everything. It's mm. delicious. It's wonderful. See, that's the other thing with me. I, I really never prioritize breakfast. Like, you now, breakfast for dinner all day, every day. But when it comes to, like, waking up early to go get breakfast before anybody else, mm. I'm not. I'm never that person. Anytime we're on the road, there's always a group that goes at, like, 8 a.m. And I'm like, I'm not even hungry yet. Like, that's not my – that's just – 8 a.m.'s lunchtime in my world. (laughs) (laughs) Old man, old man sitting over here. Okay, enough on Uncle Bill's Pancake House. Check it out if you if you like. Sometime when you're in Manhattan Beach, a lot of other stuff to do in Southern California, as it turns out. And uh, and one of those being a big soccer game between Sporting Kansas City and the LA Galaxy. The only shame to me of this was the fact that. We're at a point in the season where a draw didn't do much for Sporting Kansas City when it comes to their spot in the standings because I think in general terms, a draw at a place like the LA Galaxy and the way that it played out would be a very positive result. result. And I think in the grand scheme of things, it is. But just in terms of the deal where you feel like, oh, they got to win every game to try to get into the playoffs, it didn't turn out that way. But let's break it down. LA Galaxy 2, Sporting Kansas City 2, and an unseasonably hot day in Southern California. Usually, even in the summertime, it's one of the great things about L.A., not too hot. But no. that wasn't the case this weekend. No, it was, like you said, unseasonably hot in Carson, California, and in the entire L.A. County. There's like an excessive heat warning all the way through mm-hmm. Wednesday. So at the time that we arrived at the stadium, which usually is four hours pre-match, we go with the equipment, it was... I want to say like 101, 102 degrees at that point. But then thankfully around the time that kickoff, you know, 5 p.m. in, you know, on the West Coast, it cooled down. The sun wasn't directly over the stadium and and the breeze started rolling back through. But I talked to Johnny Russell after the game, even after our interview, and I'm like, how hot was it out there? And he was like, it was still because there was like a little bit of humidity as well, which is Mm. also usually not the case. So I, I heard that the weather was actually better in Kansas City than it was in Los Angeles, which is just unthinkable at this time of yeah. year. Sounds so like your flight brought the Midwest weather. I know. I think we brought it with us. But, you know, all in all, a great game. I, and I think a good result for sporting. I totally agree with what you said. Just had that same result happen a couple months earlier. I think you view it a little bit differently just because of how many points sporting Kansas City need to find their way into a playoff spot. But that game in about a five-minute span went from being a feeling of, oh, my gosh, we are having, we're going to suffer this crushing, you know, draw here. And then it was like, oh my gosh, never mind. This feels incredible. And it was like a roller coaster of emotions there at the end. Yeah, what did you think of it, Kyle? Um, it's probably the first time I've seen us play this year that we've went 1 0 down. And I haven't really thought that we weren't going to get back into the game. Like when they come out in the second half, they were visibly better. They looked quicker. They were fast. They were getting in, hitting harder tackles. They were all over LA, like LA, they kind of swarmed them at the start of that yeah. second half. And on another day, you get a bit of luck and you don't get two penalties given against you in the last five minutes. I mean, it's probably, the way Peter probably thinks of it, 85 minutes and you're winning two ones. I mean, to not win the game is probably a bit of a disappointment. Like, But if you had been offered that before we went out there, 2-2 and bringing a point back, take away the situation at the standings at the minute, you probably would have taken it. But 
I thought Sporting done well. Didn't ever really think they were under too much pressure. LA are a good team. But see one thing about them. They always give you chances. They always give people teams chances. See, yeah. every game I was looking previewing this, nineteen shots on tar or nineteen shots, fifteen shots, thirteen. Shots, they always give you chances. And the way we were playing at the minute, I back us to finish some of the chances. So even when we went one 0 down, I was kind of like, you know what, we could still get back into this. And it took a wee bit of luck and a deflection from Felipe, but we did it. It, it was interesting roller coaster of emotions through the course of that game because we talked a lot about the keys to the game going into it, and we knew that the newest member of that Galaxy team, Pooch, was very dangerous, pulling strings in the middle of the field. And the, the goal sequence that led to Chicharito's first goal just five minutes in was like everything you were worried that L.A. might be able to do to you. So I remember my thought process at the time was, man, if they've already carved it open once in five minutes, this mm. could be a long one. But then Sporting never really gave much away. It was like, they, oh, like hey, look, we got burned on that situation. They, they, they smothered the midfield the rest of the game. Really, Pooch didn't have a chance, I didn't think, to do much again until he made that great pass that led to the, the first of the two penalties. And so I think you give Sporting a lot of credit for the fact that, okay, they got us on this one five minutes in, made corrections immediately, and I thought by far were the better team, the balance of the game, the rest of the first half. Definitely in the second half, we saw the expected goals number when Sporting got the penalty. If you just saw the highlights, you'd say, well, they got a little fortunate deflection on the penalty, but the expected goal showed that Sporting was well over one expected goal in the game, and L.A. was down around .3, which doesn't tell you everything. I know sometimes that's a flawed statistic, and by the end of the game, it looked completely out of whack because of all the penalties that had been involved. But I do think that that was like that. When we saw that expected goal stat, I thought, that's how this game feels like it's playing out. It feels like Sporting have been by far the better team for basically ever since the minute they conceded that first goal on. And so, you know, I thought it was great to see them come back and then take the lead. Like you said, the goal for Felipe Hernandez, I mean, I got to give Willie Gata a ton of credit for his hold up play again. We talk about it so many times, but, but he works so hard to make sure that he possesses the ball when it comes up to him like that. And he's not always looking to turn and drive forward. He's looking for those layoffs. And he was looking for a layoff, didn't have one. And it turned out, well, Felipe is just hanging out in <laughs> acres of right. space. And no one's paying any attention to him on the left-hand side. And he played him in. And, a and, fantastic yeah. ball, by the oh, way. And yeah. So much, yeah. com- like so much composure in those moments. Yeah. And, I mean, good on Felipe for recognizing the opportunity. And, I mean, a great just counterattacking play. And it was fun talking to Felipe after the game because usually when a player gets in that spot, he, his angle is a little inter- – you know, he wasn't necessarily in the best angle for a shot. Mm-hmm. But his he was – determined to get that shot off and yeah it gets a little lucky lucky with that deflection but that was you know all effort but if you create enough chances inside the penalty area like that luck is going to go your way more often I mean obviously the galaxy got the benefit of a lucky bounce and and poor Caden Pierre what's he going to do I mean you know he's going up to try to deflect the ball and you know that's that's one of those ones, as soon as it went to VAR, just knowing all the calls we've been on, by the way, yeah. and the way they want to imply the rules, I was afraid. I was like, I think they're going to give this, mm-hmm. and I don't know what's fair. I don't know what's right, but what they've decided in soccer now is it doesn't really matter, this whole ball-to-hand, hand-to-ball, which used to be the question they would always try to ask you. Now it's, is your body your hand away from your body? What I don't like about it is the language they use to us is it's a natural soccer motion. Is it, is it a... Is it emotion that's consistent with, you know, the soccer action that you're doing? 
Well, what did he do that's like unnatural there? I, you know, I mean, he didn't raise his arms up over right. his head. He didn't try to make himself unnaturally bigger. He's jumping and trying to kick a ball. Like, right. where are your yeah. arms supposed well, to go? Well, and I think that that to me is one of the the hardest things about the rule because when you are going to jump, you have to move your arms to get leverage. Like if you keep your hands directly by your side or behind your it's back, like unless you're really, <laughs> no, but like unless you're really tall, you're, you're not going to get a lot of leverage over another right. guy. And he's just trying to get his body in the way. And you're just trying, trying to, to get... get yourself up. Like unless you're a wee character bouncing up and down, like completely. I, I just, I think I about that's made the a hardest si- thing. I about made a Saturday Night Live reference that I'm the only one old enough in this room to get, but mm-hmm. they did an old skit called Sprockets where they would, dance and one of them was a salmon dancer they would jump up and mm. without moving their arms around anyways yeah i'm in the wrong audience for this but that's what i'm thinking i, I don't know i just made a wee reference yeah. so we're gonna see who really <laughs> listens to the show here if they get the wee reference yeah. from like the early 2000s or whatever you're talking about it's from the 90s <laughs> whatever yeah you're talking. by the way google the sprockets bit it was actually really funny um but uh <laughs> this but, show transcends yeah. any sort of demographic it's, it's gone off the rails it, is what it's done <laughs> Um, and, and on that note, we do need to take a break because uh, John Polskamp is waiting. We don't want to keep this man waiting. This no. man uh, was at the center of a lot uh, to, to, to unpack in this game. And I think that every single one of us loves the cat and mouse game of the goalkeeper and the penalty taker, especially when history starts to become involved. And we've got the latest chapter in that. Hopefully we'll get some insight from John Polskamp and much, much more as we continue with the Sporting Kansas City Show presented by Michelob Ultra. You're listening to the Sporting KC Show on Sports Radio 810 WHB. Sporting KC fans take pride in supporting the team both home and away. When flying to away matches to cheer on the team, or anywhere for that matter, check out the Kansas City International Airport's new terminal progress at buildkci.com. And we're back on the Sporting Kansas City Show on your home for SKC Soccer, Sports Radio 810 WHB, wherever you get your podcasts and wherever you stream your video content. And we just got a lot handsomer if you're watching on video because uh, Big Bear, uh, John Pulsecamp, has, uh, has joined us in the, uh, in the studio here. Is that, are, is that an official nickname now? Are we going with that? Has, has, is everyone calling you that? How's that? Everybody on our crew is saying that, and, but I haven't used it on the broadcast yet. Yeah, I feel like I need your I, blessing, you know, before uh, I do something like that. No, I mean, it's it's definitely caught on uh, with a lot of the guys that I know on, on social media. It's... it's uh, become the official nickname i don't i don't know okay so we did though there was a conversation that happened this weekend where um one of our like match day experience folks was saying okay how cool would it be if like every time john took the field like kind of like college football vibes almost like everyone just started growling like, <laughs> <laughs> like no. if, if we could get the culture on board with like okay on the count of three just give a big Pulls camp growl. I, I, don't, I know. don't know. Maybe, I, maybe a chant or something. <laughs> I don't know what that would sound like. Yeah. 20,000 people trying to growl trying like to a bear growl. at the same time. I kind of want to hear it. I don't know. <laughs> no, well, they got some good chants. I think yeah. after this weekend especially, they're going to have to, you know, yeah. kind of hit the books and, and do some brainstorming yeah. here. Yeah. yeah. There's there's a lot of opportunities out there. I just don't even know what my bear growl sounds that, that, that's like. That's what you I'm know? thinking. I'm like, <laughs> well, you, don't, you definitely don't want to test it on a big save. No, no. And I'm <laughs> yeah. not going to test it on this microphone right now. That's for sure. Exactly. Oh, exactly. man. Boy, boy, we have a lot to talk about with you, John. And, and, and I know it was an emotional situation for you uh, going back to 
to L.A. and to Carson, California. Uh, this is this is very similar on, on similar levels and everything too. But uh, I went to uh, Bishop Ward High School, small Catholic school in inner city Kansas City, Kansas, and uh, they asked me to come back and speak to their high school football team on Friday. And I hadn't been to a game in probably 15 years, and it's where I spent all my childhood days in the yeah. baseball stadium or the baseball field where we played. And just I'm, I must have spent thousands and thousands of hours from seventh grade through high school in this one little lot in yeah. Kansas City, Kansas, whether it was track and field practice, football practice, bat- baseball practice, all that stuff. And so to come back there and just watch kids playing there, uh-huh. it was just a flood of emotions. Like, man, this is this is it. This is where my childhood was. Uh, like I said, not quite the same level as going to a place where the likes of Landon Donovan and Chicharito and and Robbie Keane and all these guys have played. I'm not trying to put it in that category, but just when I heard you talking to Allie uh, before the game about you were you were calling out specific memories of things you had done there as a little kid up on the concourse. I felt like, man, I, I feel like I know what he's talking about there. Just right. like your childhood memories are something that when they come back to you, they hit you pretty, uh, they hit you right in the heart, don't they? Com- completely, completely. I mean, even just the drive in on the bus. Um, you know, I'm, I'm there with my phone sending, uh, Snapchats to, to some of the guys I used to live with. Yeah. Um, because for a lot of my time when I was with the Academy, I actually lived in the neighborhoods right across the street from the StubHub. Oh, wow. Um, so, you know, the big long entryway in, if you just go straight out from there, I lived in a house. We used to walk to training. Um, was that with your family or with like no, that teammates? Was, so, so that was, yeah, with the, the host set up. Got it. Um, because my family's about an hour and a half, two hours okay. away. I didn't, like, um, I was trying to think in my head how, what that distance was like. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it was just, just too much of a drive. Um, so we thought it'd be better for me to go down there permanently. And, and yeah, I was living with uh, some guys that I'm still very good friends with today. I mean, one of my best friends, uh, Zico Bailey at Cincinnati. So I was. <laughs> snapping him yeah. all the pictures i remember uh, you know this target and <laughs> in this place there's a little uh like I mean, corner store yeah kind of right on the edge there and we used to get these uh croissant egg sandwiches like every other morning okay ca- call them number 13s and <laughs> like know, on your way into training on our way into training yeah. on our way home they're the best yeah. things ever yeah they're the best things ever so uh snapping him like, so what's oh, all on it croissant go. egg it's like a croissant egg a little it's not the healthiest thing <laughs> by the way you know i was a yeah. kid like yeah, yeah that's, you that's can eat whatever you exactly. want exactly eat whatever you want yeah. when you're 16 kind of thing but i was yeah. like yeah like egg some cheese little mayo but the way they did it was <laughs> was proper so what's the wow. response when you're sending him all this stuff oh he's just laughing and yeah. like yeah like bring me back some some number 13s <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome so then you you get out there on the field and the game starts we were talking about it um in the in the segment right before this didn't get off to the best start right five minutes in down one nil and it was kind of like that's exactly what we were worried about la doing right those th- that that mean from Pooch to Vasquez to Chicharito. Um, I'm curious what the thought, what, because you guys responded so well to it. What was the thought process like on the field right after that moment happened? Yeah, yeah. I mean, credit to the guys in front of me. The response was was brilliant. Um, you know, like I, like I heard you say early, earlier, when you concede that early away from home, uh, it's very easy to let the game get away from you. It's very easy to, you know, kind of almost – feel sorry and it's like well dang it we mm-hmm. we messed this up early kind of thing and then, mm-hmm. and then the game just runs away from you but but the response was was great from all the guys um and i'm happy it was because yeah i mean conceding early it's obviously not how 
I imagine yeah. that game going. <laughs> right. Um, you know, when you're when you're when you're dreaming about it the night before, um, and I'm sure nobody on on our side was was expecting that or wanting that. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was just kind of like a little slap in the face, a little wake up call, like, all right, we're s it's early. Uh, let's 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 get back in in control of this game. What does that response of say about? the growth of this team. I mean, we've seen it in so many ways over the last few weeks, but you know, that was a situation where earlier in the season, it did feel like if, if a situation like that happened in the game, it, it would get away from you guys. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's just, I mean, it's character. It, it, it shows the character and it shows how much fight, you know, we still have left. Um, by no means are we, you know, thinking just about the future now and, and, and moving on from, from what this year is. We, we know where things stand. Um, and we're still here every single day, putting in the work. And on on game days, full ninety minutes, we're, we're we're fighting for everything, no matter no matter what the scoreline says. I think that's been evident time and time again through the latter portions of this season, um, which to me does really say something about the continued culture of the club and the players that are a part of it right now. We're visiting with John Polskim now. You said when you're envisioning how things are going to go the night before, falling down one nil in the first five minutes isn't isn't one of those things you're envisioning. Is stopping a penalty against Chicharito <laughs> at the very end of the game? Or did you did you play that scenario out in your mind the night before? Did that even cross your mind? Yeah, I think I think every keeper when they when they kind of envision games, they they think of a late pen or just any other you know kind of big saves. Um, but you know, late in the game always adds that extra bit of. Uh, just that extra bit of importance, you know, on it, and and you know, as keepers, you want to feel like you're you're helping your team. You want to feel like you're covering for guys. You want to mm -hmm. feel like you're bailing guys out. Um, you know, being the last guy of defense, basically. So, you know, to be able to do that late, I'm happy, and and yeah, glad I was able to do my bit. Okay, so we get, you know, we're doing the game from a studio in Kansas City, so we don't we only get to see the pictures that are shown to us. So as soon as the, the handball on Caden Pierre goes to video review, that's all we're getting to see is what the referee is doing in video review. Mm -hmm. After the game's over, Ali's interviewing you, and you start talking about how you and Chicharito had had some words in during that video review, which then I'm immediately like, oh, I, I want to know what happened here then because we didn't get to see any of it. So what happened? Like what, what was it like between you and Chicharito the whole time the video review is taking place? Yeah, yeah. So uh, the video review was taking a while. Um, I mean, I think the handball was in the ninety second or ninety third or something, and then he didn't actually take the penalty until like the ninety six. So it was definitely a few minutes. Um, but yeah, I mean, me and Chicharito have have had a lot of conversations after games. Uh, he's a super nice guy. We we chat after every single game. Um, lately, you know, it seems like he's he's been able to score on me. So. We kind of, you know, we'll have a laugh after the game and, and talk to each other. But, you know, in the moment, it, it gets tense and, and you're focused on, on what you need to do to win. So, you know, he, he, he was up there waiting, assuming it was a penalty. Um, and he wanted to wait on the penalty spot. And from my end, I'm assuming it's not a penalty and we're going to, you know, crack on with the game as, as normal. The ball was somewhere at like midfield or something, and he kept trying to get the ball boy to throw him a new ball, and I was kind of like trying to block him from, from <laughs> getting Protect a new your ball. area. Exactly, I wasn't, ball. I wasn't yeah. having it. You know, I wasn't. Yeah. I just wasn't in the mood either. <laughs> um, you know, with kind of how that second yeah. half went from being up to then, you know, conceding the penalty myself. Obviously, it doesn't feel good. So to have that happen and then have them get a late penalty to potentially make it three two, I I was I was fuming. <laughs> I was yeah, I wasn't right. happy. So. So it just didn't help, and then so, you know they threw the ball out. I kicked it away from them, and then and then yeah, we just we just shared a couple words, but yeah, and then 
uh, after you know I did the the cheeky scuff of the of the penalty spot, and, <laughs> and you know he didn't like that either. Um, so yeah, I mean it all just kind of built up to the moment, which I definitely think you know it wasn't my intention at all, but I think it definitely had an effect on the moment. It, it added a layer of uh, of tension to it. So that you told me played to your advantage though. That's a little, well, yeah. yeah it, well, like I was saying, those things could always you know. They can play to your advantage or they can come back to bite you. Yep. You know, I mean, I remember hearing stories about Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant. I mean, these guys would make up stuff in their head mm -hmm. just to get pissed off at another player. Yeah. Just so they would, you know, have go out there and have a game. So I'm not saying I was doing that on purpose, but like, those, like you were saying, it, it, that thing can help yeah. you. You know, you can kind of add a layer of, of tension and make him do something out of character or have make a player make a mistake. Or you can make somebody mad, and and then they go off, right. and then they and then that that you know makes them focus even harder, which comes back to bite you. So would you say you're more like a Jordan and a Kobe, or a, like does that kind of stuff motivate you? Like yeah, what? For sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. And I mean, I don't know if that was that's what happened in the moment. Like I was I, I was calm throughout that entire mm -hmm. process. You um, told me that you like trusted your gut. Like you really felt. Yeah. Like yeah. That that, was that's. I mean. Which on one of those you kind of have to be like exactly, very exactly. sure a, in your decision. Yeah, exactly. It's a it's a risky you know play, mm -hmm. just as it is for them because of of what that saw or what we saw. Um, but it's a risky play for a goalkeeper as well because if he passes that you know hits it decently well to the corner, yeah, you're gonna try to react to it, but from from twelve yards away, yeah. it, it becomes very very difficult. So it's it is anytime there's history between the goalkeeper and the person taking the penalty. There's just another layer to it. A couple of different examples I can think of. One being Matt Beasler in the MLS Cup Final in 2013, and he's going up against Nick Romando, who's you know one of the legendary keepers in MLS history. And I remember, and 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 Romando saved his penalty in the MLS Cup Final. If I remember this all correctly, my my memory starts to fade. But I talked to Matt about it afterwards, and he said, you know, the thing was we had been on the national team together and we were practicing penalties and Nick came up and asked him, Hey, it seems to me like you usually go to this side. Why do you do that? You know? Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, a couple months later, he's lining up at the spot in MLS cup final against this guy. And he's like, man, that he conversation does. is yeah. just ringing in my head. Yeah. Like, do I go the same way that he knows I usually go? Yeah. Or do I go the other way? Or is he guessing that I'm going to go the other way because he knows I usually go this way and yeah, we've had exactly. this conversation and it's just playing on a loop in your head. And when Johnny went up to the penalty spot on the other side, the it was like thing. he had always gone to that same side. Yeah. And Bond was the one guy to save it. And so then the next penalty Johnny took, he went to the other side. And so then you're thinking – is he going to go back to the other side again, or is he going to test yeah. Bond again? Yeah. You know, like that. And that's kind of what he was saying after yeah. the game too. He was like thinking all <laughs> of these things, which like I almost feel like the worst thing to do in those situations on either side is to be thinking a ton of things it, at yeah. one time. Yeah. yeah, but you could see like after that goal, he and Bond like put their arms around each other and were smiling about it. And I think the average person might look at that and go, "How could those two be laughing in a moment this tense?" But they're the only two that have this relationship right now. Exactly. Yeah, you know? it's, it's exactly. It's a very personal thing. It's between the two. I mean, it's no yeah. different than after the game, me and Chicharito yeah. having a laugh. Yeah. Um, so yeah, what was, was that interaction like between you two? Oh, it was it was all love. It was you know, it's this is this is football. This is part of the game. Um, you know, when the game's on and you're between the white lines, it's it's strictly business. And then after the game, you can you know you can go shake your shake people's hands and have a hug because we're all 
we're all in the same profession. We all can relate to each other mm-hmm. uh, in a unique way. Um, so it, it's it's we, we, we have that respect for each other, and especially with the player he is. I mean, yeah, I'll give it to him during the game, but then after the game, it's it's Chicharito. So. And what a, I mean, what a moment that was. It was just it was one of those like iconic moments. I think that everyone's going to remember the rest of the MLS season because everybody was talking about the next day, you know, wow, he tried to chip him and it didn't go. And so, you know, you can see the side of it from, uh, from Chicharito's point of view. All right, let's, let's take a look at what's, what's coming down the pike for you guys. Now Um, it is a result away from home. And and I know you said to Ali after the game, it's disappointing because you wanted three and you guys were close to three, but your three matches unbeaten. Um, four out of five unbeaten. I don't think anybody could argue you guys have been are playing probably the best stretch of soccer that you played all year. What's the mindset going down to Houston? Is it just as simple as keep it going, um, or what? You know, what do you guys kind of? How do you guys look at this matchup coming up against uh, Houston? Who, by the way, just just overhauled their entire coaching staff coming yeah. into this game as well. Yeah, yeah, I just saw that. Um, but yeah, I mean, like like you said, with the with the keeping it going, because um, it's not just based on the results. I know people looking in oftentimes will only look at results. Right. They'll only look at form. Well, from the player's perspective, yeah, results obviously play a big part in it. But the biggest part is actually how we feel ourselves about how we're playing. Mm-hmm. The process. Um, the process, yeah. exactly. I mean, we could step away from from a win and think, you know, we didn't play our best. We maybe didn't deserve the win. We kind of, you mm-hmm. know, smash and grab win. We kind of uh, came away with, with some luck to, to get the three points there. And then on the flip end of things, you know, you can maybe not get all three points, but you can turn around and look and say, we were playing our style. We were playing our way. We played very, very well. So I think, you know, we've been, we have been getting results as of late, and we've also been playing our style of soccer. We've been playing with confidence, and we've been controlling the game. We've been moving the ball, you know. Not saying that hasn't been without its moments of, you know, you know where, th- where things slip up a little bit, but for the most part, we've been back to our, our true identity on the way we like to play. So that fills the team with a lot of confidence when you when you know you're playing how you imagine yourself playing. When you go into the classroom for meetings and we're watching film, and when we execute execute those things on the field, that's what gives players confidence. So, so yeah, so I think the team team is feeling very very good, and that's that's all it is is, is keeping that going. Not not just the results. The results will come as a result of us playing our style. And your coach, Peter Ramiz, has also mentioned how the consistency that you all have had recently has also kind of helped and allowed you all to to do those things uh, in ways that just weren't possible at the beginning of the season. But you've had a consistent run of games now. Is, is there anything that you feel like in your game has really taken a jump up? And, and what are some things that you're still really looking to refine and working on with Dufty and the goalkeeper mm-hmm. training group? Yeah, I mean, so that's spot on with, with what you were saying about uh, Peter. I mean, getting the flow, getting a rhythm, and getting stringing together some results definitely uh, affects how you play and, and the results you get in the future. It's the same going both ways. You know, one loss, two loss can, can turn into a couple, and it's the same with wins. One win, two win can turn into a string of games. Um, and then, yeah, to, to the personal aspect, you know, getting a string of games is, is always good. Um definitely just the comfort level not that that wasn't there before but obviously the more repetition you see live the Mm -hmm. more games you feel uh the more games you get you feel better and better so so yeah so i'd say that's definitely been been one of the biggest areas um just trusting 
moments, trusting where I'm at, trusting where I'm at in the goal and in the field and where they're at and, and, and different things like that. So just slowing down some of my movement, not moving as much. Um, so just kind of the little details like that mm -hmm. that maybe the average person isn't seeing. But then, you know, me and Alec will go and we'll break down footage. It's like, okay, well, the ball's wide here and, and you took this extra step. Why did you need to take that extra step? You know, you could have just stayed put where you are and not have been giving up anything. Um, so just limiting kind of all that extra movement. So little details like that. Um, just continue to focus on, on refining those. Yeah. Big time experience for John Pulse Camp at an early age and, and add one more experience to the list. Stopping that penalty to preserve a point for sport in Kansas City against the LA Galaxy. John, thank you so much for the time and best of luck down in Houston. Awesome. Thank hey, you very much. And tell the Pulse Campers hello. Oh, that sign was great. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> and a whole crew. I saw it with yeah. like a We Are the Pulse Campers, which is just go. a great. Yeah. Uh, it's just a great little family nickname. See, We're the toaster strudels. <laughs> <laughs> that makes you feel any better. Oh, okay. That makes me feel a lot better. Oh, gosh. I was, I, was giving him some grief. I was giving him some grief for that. But, but it was great. Strudels. I loved it. Mm. Love it. Between bear growls and toaster strudels, yeah. I don't really know where else we're going to head. Right. We're going to talk about this Houston matchup coming up next. Uh, Paulo Nagamura, Jimmy Nielsen, the, the crew of guys, the, the former SKC guys, not getting a fair shake in Houston, I think, is part of the storyline we'll talk about as well. But we'll, we'll get into what Sporting Kansas City have in front of them against the Dynamo coming up this weekend right after this on the Sporting Kansas City Show. You're listening to the Sporting KC Show on Sports Radio 810 WHB. And we're back on the Sporting Kansas City Show on your home for SKC Soccer, Sports Radio 810 WHB, wherever you get your podcast, wherever you stream your video content presented by Michelob Ultra. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. A man who's slightly offended by the fact that I said the last did segment. Did you hear what he said at the start of that last segment? I did. Oh, it's just gotten more handsome because John Puskamp sits you're, down. You're a, you're a handsome ginger bearded man, <laughs> Connell, but you're not as handsome as John Puskamp. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm also 6'5 and have great hair. And yeah. yeah, I'll take it. That's fine. He's got, he's got a lot going for him. Mm. That John Pulse can. He does, so, doesn't he? Look, he's I, pretty good goalkeeper too. He's he's that's one of the things he's got going for him mm -hmm. as well. And he's more handsome than me and you. Mm. So we just have to, you know. You're, you're, See you're not. Don't we have some soccer to talk about? Are <laughs> not willing to concede that? Oh, 100 percent. Okay, all right. Just making sure. I do own mirrors <laughs> in the house. <haystack. laughs> all right. Uh, he's better at soccer and he's more handsome than us. But uh, we're on the show now to talk about Sporting mm. Kansas City's game coming up against the Houston Dynamo this weekend down in Houston, Texas. 7:30 kick off on Saturday on 38 the spot on the Sporting Kansas City app sportingkc.com for free in all those places and on the radio on our sister station ESPN Kansas City 94.5 FM if you want to check out the audio version of the broadcast is welcoming up on Saturday two teams well uh, well below the playoff line right now playing in this one and uh, the news coming out about the Houston Dynamo just yesterday that Paulo Nagamura, first-year head coach and, of course, former Sporting Kansas City player and SKC2 coach, and his assistants, former Kansas Cityans uh, Jimmy Nielsen and Chris Martinez, relieved of their duties this week and will be replaced by uh, an interim coach uh, of the Dynamo 2, Kenny Bundy. I'm going to read a tweet that uh, I saw from Charles Bohm, who covers Major League Soccer because I felt like this summed up my, my reaction as soon as I saw it. He said, quote, giving a first-year head coach a very basic roster, then giving him less than a season to prove himself is certainly a choice. Yeah. Uh, that is the dynamo to me, and I look around professional sports, and 
when I see places that are changing out coaches all the time and never seem to have a chance to get a system in place and a direction and a culture in place, they end up changing coaches all the time and never getting a system right. and culture in place. It's not a cycle that you want to be in. It's the antithesis of what we've seen in Kansas City. I'm obviously very biased because I'm a big Paulo Nagamura yeah. fan as a person, player, coach, everything that he was here. But I just don't know how anybody could argue that he got a fair shake in Houston considering the situation he walked into down there. Well, and all those things that you just listed, I think, detract and hinder your ability to establish a good culture, to establish consistency. If that is the mindset of the people who are keeping you employed, well, how are you ever supposed to get your footing when things, when you do hit some adversity, when Mm -hmm. when things start, you know, going wrong? If, if their mindset is, well, now you're on the clock, figure it out instead of, and look, we don't know what happened behind the scenes. This is just, you know, this is a team that finds himself themselves right now in last place. Um, They'd been in a, a, bad run of form as of late I think what 15 losses in their last 22 I mean you know this is a results business but at the same time when you look at all of those factors of hey first year head coach new coaching staff a a roster that that needed some some work to Mm -hmm. to get the team you know along and then the decision after not even a full season is to to can you know three members of the coaching staff that just it's it's a choice um and, and I and I just I think that it, it makes it hard to really establish something that is that is strong and can withstand the ups and downs that every team faces in Major League Soccer. And that's what I thought they were going for when they hired Paulo Nagamura. Obviously, look, it was his first time in MLS. I mean, it's his debut season as a head coach in MLS, so it was it was always going to be teething problems. But this wasn't a brilliant team he walked into. They finished bottom of the West the last, last two year. years in a row. Yeah. Like I yeah. think two of the last three years or something, they finished bottom of the West. So are you expecting them to come in and work miracles? He hasn't really been backed all that much. I mean, yes, they got Hector Herrera and stuff in, but the team needs, <laughs> you need more than one player. In well, and as we've seen, those big signings don't necessarily take you from, you know, bottom to top, just like, you know, at the snap of a finger. Right. As I you mean, said before. I mean, Toronto FC's hemorrhaging goals still and... Mm-hmm. That you know, come bringing Lorenzo and in isn't solving that problem for him. So right. just because you're scoring goal, it, every team's issues are can be different. But and it's just you think they're trying to build like a culture that like so they know Paulo was up here, he went through the system here, he knows uh, the culture that's around here, and I thought that was something that they were trying to bring down there, try and build over the next few years, and it just kind of seems like the first time they've hit a bit of adversity, they've got cold feet and pulled the plug, which, as you said, I mean. If that's the if that's the organization you want to be, then you that's what you're going to do. You're going to keep you're going to keep switching over as soon as you hit a bit of a a hard patch. You're going to pull the plug again, and it's just back to square one. So it's hard to see really their vision, what they were envisioning at the start. Because I mean, what did they want? Did they want him to be up hovering around the top of the league, or I mean, what were his what was yeah. his remit at the start of the year? I mean, I, I and and I don't know the answer to those questions. And maybe as Ali referenced. Maybe something was said. Maybe something happened behind the scenes that we don't know about. Mm. We're only reacting to what we know on the surface of things right now. There's no, there's been no reports of anything like that, and it does to me. It's actually one of the things. This is this is kind of going down a different rabbit hole of, of of philosophical conversation about promotion and relegation and how people feel about all that. But one of the things to me that you have an advantage of as an organization in Major League Soccer is. You don't have the threat of relegation. A lot of these other leagues that have that, they don't have the luxury of time 
to try to build something, mm. to sacrifice in the short term in order to say, hey, we might lose some games this year because we're going to play this system. I'll use an example. I think that what happened in Austin, Texas, Josh mm-hmm. Wolf, people were calling for his job last year, right? Wolf out, I think, was trending on yeah. you know, Austin Twitter all of like last season. And people were saying, why are they trying to do play out of the back and do certain things that they're trying to do when they don't have the full complement of players required to do that and they stuck with their system and said we might we might suffer in the short term but when we get players like Driussi in here and all of that and then we play that way and everybody's ready to play that way we're going to win because we can execute our system you have the luxury of doing that they didn't get relegated last year right if you're playing in England and you're suffering like crazy halfway through a season I get it you got to pull whatever emergency rip cords you can mm-hmm. because you're going to be losing out on 80 million pounds of revenue right. if you don't get it sorted out before the season's over but there's to me like there's so the Houston Dynamo have five games left in the season or whatever it is and they're not going to the playoffs, and they're not getting relegated. And they must have already made the determination that this just isn't the direction that we want to head in order to make that change. And, hey, that's their prerogative. I would say their track record does should not give you a ton of confidence that, oh, this time around they're going to make the right choice and, and change things around. And I, I just think that that's if you have the luxury of time, you, all you have to do is look at places like Austin and see what they're doing now. And, and maybe, like I said, maybe Paulo wasn't the right guy for it, but it certainly seems hard to make that but determination, just, you know. It's the timing that's weird because yeah. last week he wins MLS Coach of the Week. They beat LAFC. Right. So yeah. the week yeah. before that, they, they, they were beat by Minnesota the week before, so you were probably thinking they were probably ready to do it then. And then he beats LA. He beats the best team in the league, arguably. So they're like, well, we can't do it. Well, we can't fire him after right. we do that. We and then as soon as he beat by Seattle, right, that's it. It's yeah. You know, it just seems so hasty that they've mm. jumped to it, and I don't. And as you said, look, we don't know what's said behind the scenes. We don't know what kind of things go on. But it's, I just, it's I, just a bit strange. Like it it's is. A, it's a bit of odd time, and, and right at the end of the year, like what? It, I don't yeah. really see the why not just wait until the end of the season and see what how it all stacks up. I think my biggest question would be what is the identity that the Houston Dynamo organization wants? Like they, I think what needs to happen then is they need to be a lot more aligned with whatever you know, they are looking for as an organization when they make that next hire, because it, it it's just, it's this organization over the last, well, you know, it, I just, <laughs> I, I, to me, like, I just, I, there are a lot of questions still. I'll tell you one thing that will be changing in the league a little bit. And that is with all of the money that's coming into the league now and the high price players like a Hector Herrera coming into the league, all of a sudden the players start to have a lot more power. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. and we see this in, in the biggest leagues in the yeah. world, and you see what's happening at Manchester United with Ronaldo right now. But you see it, you know, I just did the Philadelphia-Atlanta game for Fox last week, and what's going on with Joseph Martinez? Everybody wants to know, why isn't this guy starting? He seems to want to know, why isn't he starting? <laughs> and who's going to win that ego battle between Jose Martinez and Gonzalo Pineda, and how does that shake out, you know, long term? If you're the Houston Dynamo now... And, and this is one of the things to go back to what we're talking about. Like, you see managerial changes all over European soccer because of the relegation situation, right? And they'll happen in the middle of the season. And then all of a sudden, you've built a squad and a roster to play a certain way, and another manager comes in with new ideas, and you don't fit into his plans. Mm-hmm. That's why I talked a lot about with Elie, why he wanted to come to Kansas City back when he did. He mm-hmm. played for three managers in one season in Germany, and two of those managers – didn't use the number six the mm-hmm. way that he was best at playing. So if you're Houston, 
tell me they're not going to be consulting with Hector Herrera on who the next coach is. Yeah. You spend that much money on Hector Herrera, yeah. you're going to make damn well sure that the guy that comes in is somebody that he likes and plays a system play that he his likes. Strengths. Yep. Yeah, and, sure. and, and but but then but then is the tail wagging the dog. Right. You know, the, does because what happens if Hector Herrera gets injured or if he's done playing in a year from now or something like that and now you've built your whole thing catered to this one guy. And I'm just I, I don't have any inside information on what's happening in Houston, but to me these are some of the thought processes you have when you don't have consistency at the top. Well, and that I think, you know, it's interesting cuz Peter at media availability today and this is Tuesday that we're taping this was asked a lot about the situation of course with Houston being the upcoming opponent and, and his relationship with Naga and, and Jimmy and Chris Martinez. Um, and a lot of the conversation really turned to that consistency and that shared philosophy that he and the ownership group have. And I, and I do think like, it, it is interesting, like you said, with all the, the, the talent and, and high, you know, paid players coming into the league. Now sporting is almost like the antithesis of what you're seeing. Some of these other clubs turning into either, whether it was a conscious choice or just something that is a product of, you know, some of these, these big purchasing decisions because the ownership groups want to see their shiny objects succeed on the field because it, it, I mean, we even saw this when Alan Polito got brought in. I mean, the response from the fan base was massive. Like when these guys get signed, it is, it it is just a a huge injection of life into the fan base. You don't see that with like really any coach hiring, you know, it's always, it's always the player that gets the reaction. Go ahead. I was just going to say, that's why sporting's kind of an anomaly at, at the minute, mm-hmm. just in, in world soccer, because you are seeing that more. And I, I mean, obviously, this is on a different stratosphere, but Kylian Mbappe's new contract to PSG, he has consulting power about who they buy and who they bring yeah, which in. Which is crazy. Like that, all, that is on paper in his contract. So mm-hmm. it just shows you the power some players have now. And if it's not a club like sporting, if you're one of the top players and the manager doesn't fancy, you see a lot of the top players saying, well, I'm going to be here longer than he's going to be here, so yeah. I can just kind of wait this out, and then I'll start playing again. So, which is kind of the ugly side of it, which is probably something like what's going on down in Atlanta. I'm not sure, but I'm sure if, jo- if Joseph Martinez is wanting to stick around, he's probably saying, "Well, I'll be here longer than he'll be here." So, right? I mean, who's got who's got more who's got more loyalty from the from the fan base in Atlanta? The guy that scored all the goals when they were winning trophies, right. or the guy that just got here and, and is managing the team for the first time? Right. You know, and and, and now that. How does the ownership group view it and all that stuff? It's just it's complicated. But when you say that sporting's a little bit of an anomaly, I look across conference, and again, I, I just I was spending a lot of time last week prepping for this Philadelphia Atlanta game. Jim Curtin and the Philadelphia Union remind me a lot of this organization in certain ways. Now, in other ways, they, they play a very different system. You know, the style of play that you see from Philadelphia is different than sporting Kansas City's. But the idea of this the, the old the old fashioned now idea that you know the the whole is greater than the sum of its parts that this team is better because we have an entire group of strong players at every position that are completely committed to the cause that have bought into the system that are executing the system to the best of their ability the, yeah Gazdag has got a chance at the MVP I don't think he's got much of a chance no. but they got four goal scoring threats they got a complement of defenders everybody fits the system and what they want to do they're bringing players up through their academy system they're not necessarily going out and signing the biggest name stars but they're signing good players like Gazdag who become big stars here and and I just think like you see that there, and they got a chance of winning the supporter mm-hmm. shield this year. Yeah, well, and I, for my money, that's still the best way 
to win and find success in this league. And I, and I do think you can still go out and make those big splashy signings if it's the right guy who has the right mentality and the right mindset coming into the group. Yeah. It's the issue that you run into is when it's a player who, who does, yeah, and again, without knowing what goes on behind clo- uh, closed doors, it's it's when the personalities don't fit. It's when the that philosophy, that collective, you know, goal that everyone's working towards is different for one player than every other player. On that's the where you need a strong ownership group, though, and that's one thing. Like Peter's constantly talking about how, how as you said, how shared their values are, how they're all kind of singing from the same hymn sheet, like. It wasn't long ago Philadelphia fans were calling for Jim Curtin. Yeah, we go. Oh no, this is it's went stale. It's went, you know. But mm-hmm. they held their nerve. They stuck with them, and they're yeah they're reaping the rewards of it now. Like Josh Wolf down there, like we will be again. Yeah, I mean once again, right. like, yeah. say come next year. But it's all about if you're willing to give in and just let them go with five games to go. I mean you're kind of handing all the power to the players. There are a lot of different ways to respond to adversity, yeah. and, and sometimes. Contrary to what a lot of fans want to believe, I think a lot of times um, it's not always getting, you know, making changes at, at the coaching level. Right. We'll see what happens in Houston. Um, you know, they, they went out and they splashed more money this offseason than we've seen in a long, long time. Mm-hmm. They've been one of the lowest investment clubs in the league for the past several years. They have new ownership in there, and maybe this is a sign that things are going to be changing. But I think it'll be interesting to see to bring it back home, Sporting Kansas City going to Houston. Um, two teams, to me, they're in very different places, even though when you look at the standings, they look like they're in similar places. I, When I look at this team that's sporting Kansas City over the past month, I see still that collective buy-in. I yep. see that there are players on the field that seem to be playing in belief of the vision that, that, that they have in, in terms of where this thing is headed. Now, here's the question. You never know. When a coaching change happens, get how the bunch. teams are going to respond. Right. Because sometimes you get that, hey, all of a sudden – I better pick up my game a little bit because everybody's under under evaluation now at this point. Maybe there's just that 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 sense of okay, we got a change in coaching. We can go play with a clear mind. It could go. You just don't really know what to expect from Houston. I yeah. feel like in this game, and I think that's possibly the biggest challenge that Sporting faces going into this game this weekend is that you do have a team that could be playing with, um, you know, a, a sort of motivation that that comes from something that you know other teams that they just can't replicate that because they're not in that same situation so uh, I think it's going to be really interesting but I also think that the sporting team has really shown in so many different ways over the last few weeks that they can get results in a number of situations they've shown themselves they've shown themselves the ability and and Peter talked about this today too to to come back in games to get points on the road to make to preserve a lead it's those things that you hope that you can show yourself throughout the course of a season to to build you up towards the playoffs and put you in a position uh, to, to get into the playoffs when it comes down to the end. But, you know, sporting, they, they know what happened earlier in the season, but they're finding that now. And to your point, they have stuck with the, the collective vision of the group and, and they haven't lost, you know, the ability to, to really work through some of that adversity. And I, I, I think are, are reaping the, the rewards right now with that consistency and with what we're seeing on the field and off the field as well. All right, so that's going to do it for us. Again, 7.30 on Saturday, Sporting Kansas City against the Houston Dynamo on 38th the spot, Sporting KC app, SportingKC.com, and 94.5 FM. So for Connell, Allie, and the very handsome John Polskamp, this is Nate Bucati saying thanks for watching, and we'll see you next time on the Sporting Kansas City Show.